As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. I often compare life to a pie and how many pieces of the pie are dedicated to our various priorities, be it our family, relationships, work life, homes, self-care, personal goals, and so on. Samantha Edis wrote her fifth book on exactly that, The Pie Life, a guilt-free recipe for success and satisfaction, where she breaks down this metaphor to a granular level in such a compelling way. She is a best-selling American author, speaker, TV contributor, and syndicated radio host, widely known as a work-life balance expert and successful businesswoman. Since earning her undergraduate and MBA degrees from Harvard, Sam is a renowned speaker and host of a nationally syndicated call-in radio show and best-selling author of several books, The Expert's Guide to 100 Things Everyone Should Know How to Do, The Expert's Guide to Life at Home, The Expert's Guide to Doing Things Faster, and The Expert's Guide to the Baby Years. She writes a popular weekly work-life newsletter and penned a Washington Post op-ed that landed in the top 10 op-eds in 2017. Mindy Grossman is the CEO of Weight Watchers, and she refers to her as my favorite authority on how to thrive at work and at home. She was the first person quoted in Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. And Laura Slavin of Google says, I have never seen a speaker connect with her audience so deeply and so fast. As a dedicated champion of women, Sam has devoted her career to advocating and supporting women in the pursuit of their dreams. Thousands of women from C-level leaders to administrative assistants to moms returning to the workforce have benefited from Sam's unique guidance. And in Sam's quest to help women achieve financial independence, she launched Park Place Payments. I can't wait to delve into all of this and more. Sam, welcome, welcome to That's Total Mom Sense. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Kanika. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so I want to just dig into this pie. First and foremost, <laughs> what makes up our pie? So the way I see it is there are seven slices. There's our family, our health, our friends, our community, our careers, our relationship, or our quest to find one, and our hobbies. Okay. How do we kind of compartmentalize our brains and our 24 hours in a day to accommodate all these pieces of the pie? Well, the idea is not to beat yourself up over time because most likely you're pretty rational about how you're spending your time. You probably couldn't spend any less time at work and still have a job. You probably couldn't spend any less time, you know, focusing on your health and still be healthy. You probably couldn't spend any less time with your sick parent. The idea is to be honest with yourself about how much time you're spending in each slice and Mm. literally give a percentage to each slice. Like I am most weeks spending 30% with my kids and 
40% on my career or 10% with my relationship, whatever it is, be very honest about it. And then instead of getting upset with yourself about how much time you're spending in each slice, the idea is to make a goal for each slice, a very specific goal, so that even if something is a sliver today, it will start existing because you've made a goal for it. So for example, a lot of people tell me that hobbies, friends, community, those seem optional, especially when you have really young children. Mm -hmm. But it's actually, it makes you a better mom when you're involved in all seven slices. So when you are out with your girlfriends having a margarita, you actually come back refreshed and more patient the next day with your kids. So rather than seeing it as like taking away, you want to see it as additive. All these things add to your life. And the better your life is, the better you are at being a parent, being a friend, being a good partner, et cetera. That makes so much sense. And I think goal setting is the best place to start. So would you recommend that we assign some sort of actionable item to each of the slices on a weekly basis or monthly? Like what's a good cadence? So it's, it's a great question. I would say having a goal for each month for each slice is really helpful mm. because once you start having goals, then you start achieving them. So if your goal is to figure out what your hobby is, you're going to put a little bit of time in that and then you're going to find one. The next month, maybe you'll take a guitar lesson even just once every couple of weeks for an hour or you'll you know take a drawing class at the local Y. Whatever it is, figure out the things that you used to enjoy and start incorporating them into your life. There's a reason that Google gives their employees 10% of their time to give towards hobbies because they know that that helps, you know, spark a creative mind. Right. And and increases productivity too. Exactly. And to take it a step further, I feel like once you set that goal, why not write it in a journal or a to-do list or put it up on your vision board so that you see it and it's just top of mind all the time? Absolutely. And the critical thing is not to be too broad because, you know, a lot of people will say, okay, next year I'm going to work out seven days a week, even (laughs) though they hadn't been working out at all last year. Right. And so that might work for two weeks, but then suddenly they're doing nothing. So you want to set like small, very achievable goals, like taking a walk three days a week for a half hour, things that you're adding to your life that are going to make changes you can stick to. So if you are a single mom and your goal is to find a relationship, you don't want to say, I'm going to meet someone next year. You want to say, I'm going to go on one online date every two weeks, or I'm Mm. going to set up my online profile. You want to be very, very specific because that person's probably not falling on your windshield on the way, you know, (laughs) to school drop off. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, when you actually achieve the goal, you get to check it off. And that's so exhilarating in itself. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. Could you tell us what makes up your pie? Sure. So, I mean, right now I have a very busy career life because I am an entrepreneur. So I'm the CEO of a company called Park Place Payments, um, which is a payments company that trains women who want to get back to work after having left the workforce to be moms. Um, It trains them to do a basically a work from home job and make recurring revenues. And then I also spend a ton of time with my family. So I have three children, ages 13, 12, and nine, two girls and a boy and a husband. And I also have kind of a big life. In fact, in the Pie Life book, I I interviewed 100 women who were at the top of their fields from, you know, Wall Street to news anchors to doctors, you, you name it, heads of university. And the one thing that they, well, actually they had two things in common. One thing that they had in common is that none of them spent 
any time feeling guilty. And we could talk more about that later, but they really spent mm-hmm. very little time feeling guilty. The second thing that they had in common was that they really were involved in six or seven slices of their life. And they did it unapologetically. So they led big lives. And I think part of the idea is that your life is going to be messy, but just like the most delicious pies are not the store-bought perfect looking ones, the most delicious pies are the kind of messy, dripping over the side, gooey ones. And that's how your life is supposed to look. We've gotten to a place where we think that everything should be sacrificed for our kids, which is something our parents didn't do. And it's actually unhealthy for kids. It gives them a lot of anxiety and stress when you're just living for your kid or you're just helicoptering them all the time. So one of the best things you can do is model having a full, enjoyable life where you're not just surviving every day, you're thriving. Yes, absolutely. How do you optimize the 24 hours in your day? Because that's also a pie in a way. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big, big fan of routine. So I, you know, my husband and I are partners and I, I'm a huge believer that you can only reach your professional potential if you are one of two things. You are a single parent or you are partnered with someone who fully supports you at home and does 50% of the childcare and the workload. Because Mm. otherwise, you're never going to be able to reach your professional potential or your personal potential if you're doing 90% of the work at home, the childcare and the housework. It's not happening. So part of my success is having a partner who splits everything 50-50 with me. You know, he is making breakfast while I'm waking up the kids and getting them ready and doing ponytails. And (laughs) he's making lunch boxes and breakfast. And then, you know, we have two different drop-offs. I have, my older daughter is in middle school, so she gets dropped off at the bus stop at 6.55 a.m. So the alarm's set for 6 a.m. and we're getting her ready. And then with the second shift starts at 7 a.m. for my other two kids. And then I, I commute to work, which is like 45 minutes away from my house. And I usually make some calls, um, on the way. And then I'm at work doing something I love. And then I go home after work. And and on most days I have dinner with my family and do all that stuff. And now that my kids are older, there's that that time that you, you, you keep dreaming that your kids are going to be older and you'll have more time to breathe. And you do. However, my kids now go to bed after I do. So <laughs> that time that we used to have when the kids were little, like that hour or two to like watch TV with your husband or whatever it was, like that's gone. Yeah, <laughs> so now wow. my kids are putting me to bed. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I'm definitely in the weeds with the young kids because I have yes. two twins and a one-year-old baby. How old are your twins? Uh, they're two. So you are in what I call the thick of the maintenance years. And I'm sure that a lot of your listeners are also in the maintenance years. It's when your your children are under age five. And once your youngest child hits age five, it's a totally different thing because they're in school all day. But until then, it's hardcore manual labor. And I always say, if you can just like keep your foot in the door during the maintenance years, you are winning. If you're keeping your foot in the career door, you're winning. You don't need mm-hmm. to jump five levels in those first early maintenance years. Instead, you just want to keep your foot in the door and then you can always get back in the game deep at a deeper level later. I love that. And that's so um, pragmatic and realistic. Yeah, because you're exhausted all the time when you're doing the manual labor early years. And now it's emotional labor, but I prefer that. It's I find it easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same here. I feel like the sleep deprivation and the, yeah, yeah, just the physical load is is harder in the younger years. Um, And so you have to be kind to yourself and you can't take on as much. I mean, you can't burn the candle at both ends, but... 
I have been told, you know, we all know bigger kids, bigger problems. So there's that too. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's just different problems. I mean, they're emotional problems and we're actually, as adults, we're used to solving those, right? Like right, right. we're used to solving issues with friends or how to communicate with a teacher or, you know, health things. Like we're kind of used to that. It's it's the exhaustion, those early years of exhaustion mm-hmm. that you can't fix, right? You can't get yourself more sleep because it's just not possible or it's just, it's very difficult and it's challenging for your relationship too. So, you know, it always makes me sad when I hear people splitting up in those early years, because I think like just wait until you can get to the you know the maintenance year in, until you can get out of the maintenance years because then you can make rational decisions. Like when you're sleep deprived, everyone annoys you. Right. You oh, no yeah. patience for anything. You know. So. Exactly. That, yeah. That, yeah. That makes so much sense. You can make the strides after. Exactly. <laughs> in your TEDx talk, um, the new way to get happy, you mentioned that we are swimming to an ever moving buoy, um, which is so accurate. As women, especially, we want to be the best moms, but we're also workaholics. And we're, you know, oftentimes set on the fact that achieving a certain goal will get us to being happy. So can you just tell us a little bit about your philosophy there? Yeah. I mean, I hear women do it all the time. Even my friends, I'll I hear them say, you know, I'll, I'll really be happy when I fit into this dress size or 10 pounds from now, or, you know, or a new relationship from now or a promotion from now or whatever it is, we delay happiness. So instead of thinking we're supposed to enjoy our lives today, we kind of have this yardstick that we've constructed and it's so much better. Like, let's say you have the baby weight on, right? Who Mm -hmm. cares? Like Mm -hmm. if you walk around thinking you look like hot shit, everyone else will think you look like that too. So might as well just like, just wear what makes you feel good and don't, don't hold out for that, you know, smaller size, just buy what fits you today and enjoy your life. Like no one wants to hang out with the person who won't eat the, the, the chips and salsa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're more fun when you're just being a normal person. And I think so often we're so perfectionist about things. Like I have a friend who, she was so upset that she'd missed her daughter's first steps and all these firsts because she was at work. So she decided that when her son was born, she was going to stop working for a while. Now, she ended up, I mean, this is an unbelievable story, but it, it, it happens to so many people. She ended up missing her son's first steps because she was at her older daughter's soccer game and her son was with a babysitter. Okay. And she quit work just so she wouldn't miss these milestones. And so she was called me beside herself. And the bottom line is like, you're always going to miss things, right? Like just because when we work, we end up blaming work for our problems. So if we forget to bring the thing to the bake sale or we forget to, to send our child to school with the teacher gift over the holidays or whatever it is that we, or lunch or whatever it is, we forget those things, whether we're a stay-at-home mom, a working mom, whatever we're doing. And so it's all about realizing you're going to mess up every day. Like every day is going to be a series of highs and lows and a series of moments. But you have to make choices that are going to leave you being a fulfilled person. Right. And all of the studies show that we are more fulfilled when we're involved in multiple areas of our life. But as you said, we're so perfectionist and as perfectionists, we sometimes say, okay, you know what? If I'm just momming and I'm just wifing, I'll be the best wife and the best mom. Or if I'm just working and working out like for the next year, I'll, I'll get that promotion and I'll have the perfect body and I'll deal with my friends and my social life later. That's not how life works, right? It, it's much more about realizing that you're going to drop balls, but that's okay because everyone mm-hmm. does. 
just be more forgiving of it and realize that you're going to be a more successful person if you're fulfilled in every part of your life. And, you know, a lot of that does relate to our careers. So, you know, this has become a controversial topic, but it really shouldn't be because over the years, I have seen so many women get into a really bad spot because they've become financially dependent. And unfortunately, in more than 50% of marriages, I'm not talking about divorce. I'm talking about something will happen that's unexpected. So either your partner could lose their job or they drop dead or they leave you or you want to leave. Mm-hmm. All of these things can happen. And if you don't have a career to fall back on or if you don't have a financial safety net, then you're putting your family and your future happiness in complete jeopardy. So what I have noticed over the years is like we as a society sometimes romanticize the idea of a stay-at-home mom who can, you know, bake everything homemade and they'll be there for every pickup, et cetera. We want to be role models for our kids. And when you think of what you want for your own child, no one says, I'm really excited for my daughter to get a great education so she can be home. They right. say, I, w- I want her to get a great education so she can become a Supreme Court justice if she wants to, or <laughs> she can be a doctor, she can be an astronaut, or she can you know, run a business, whatever it is, right? We, we are raising our kids to fulfill their potential. So if they see us striving to reach our own personal goals, it inspires them. So it's a lot of this is realizing that like whatever you're doing, if you're, if you're working at some point, you're actually momming at the same time. You're just protecting your family financially. And so that seeing all of these women over the course of the last three years, I had been on a speaking tour for the pie life and I ended up helping and working with so many different kinds of women, women who worked in investment banks and law firms, you know, uh, women's conferences all over the country, people who worked in universities. But the one group of women I was unable to help were those that left the workforce and wanted to get back in because Mm. our society is so tough on women who've left. So if you leave the workforce for even just two years, there's less than a 50% chance you will ever get a full-time position again for the rest of your life. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. It's terrifying financially. And so I would have so many women come up to me after my speeches or after I appeared on TV show, whatever it was. And they would say, what can I do? Like no one will even interview me. I don't know what to do. And I need to get a job or I want to get a job. I loved working and my kids are in school full-time or I need to, you know, I need to support my family. I want my, to help, you know, support my, my kids' college fund. Whatever it is, all of these women were stuck because people wouldn't consider them after they'd left. And so that was actually the impetus for me starting my company now, which I started two years ago, was that I, I realized that the one group of women I couldn't help were these women. And so many of them were really well-educated, had great work experience. They were selling makeup and skincare and clothes to their friends and weren't really making a lot of money. And sometimes they were losing money. And I thought, why aren't these really amazing formerly professional women selling a financial services product, which would lead to recurring revenue and also boost their resumes at the same time. And that was how and why I started Park Place Payments. Wow. So now you're empowering these women to um, work for themselves and become more financially stable in the process. 
Exactly. I mean, these are women. They're, some of them are literally, we have a former pediatrician, former Olympic gold medalist, former newscasters, former TV stars, former accountants, former marketing people, HR people in every different kind of field um, who had for some reason or other just got to a point in their career where they felt like their options were limited and they want to learn a new skill. And so we train all of these women with zero experience to sell credit card processing to businesses in their community, businesses they already have a relationship with. So their dentist, their hair salon, their favorite bookstore, all of those businesses that accept credit cards have this intermediary between Visa, MasterCard, and American Express in the actual business. And today the intermediary is about 18,000 men. And so we've developed an all-women's sales force to go out in the field and it's all recurring revenue. Um, And we train all these women and we give them fancy job titles. They're all account executives and business cards and everything to set up their business. And then they end up having a portfolio of businesses. And it's really fun seeing people who haven't worked in a while suddenly gain a new confidence because they're earning money. They're doing it on their own time. They could do it between drop off and pick up if they wanted. Um, and they're and they're killing it out there. They're doing really well because they know how to be professional. They're honest and they're different than the competition. Um, and so they build this growing portfolio of businesses. We have one of our account executives who's in Los Angeles who she can walk down her main street and she says like one of her proudest things is she walked down walks down main street and she's like that hair salon is mine that waxing salon is mine that <laughs> antique store that sunglass store they're all my clients and so she's like this entrepreneur in her town now that helps all of these businesses with their payments. And so our goal is to have a few super, you know, successful women in every single zip code in America. That is incredible. Wow. Um, And how do you train these women who, you know, might not be from the financial sector? None of them are from the financial sector. That's the cool thing. So what we do, which is different than other companies in our industry, is that we do all of the proposals and the payment analysis, the pricing analysis for our account executives, because we don't want them to ever have to crunch a number. So Mm -hmm. we do all of the heavy lifting for them. They will basically go into a business, they get a prospect, they send us the information, we put together a beautiful customized business proposal for that business, and then they present it. And once the business says yes, we board them, we send them their, their equipment, we service the account and then that account executive goes on to selling someone else, but she continues to have that recurring revenue for the lifetime of the account. Oh, wow. So it's really cool. So there's literally no experience necessary. We have something called Park Place Academy where we will train um, train people to you know, become payment processing experts in just a few hours by taking our online course. And then what we do is every Wednesday, we have an hour of training on video calls. So all the account executives get to see each other and we've basically created this community because it can be lonely, like self-motivating and working on your own. And so now it's like, okay, there is, you know, Stacy from Seattle and there is um, Pamela from Utah and everyone kind of recognizes each other and has become this tight knit community. So it's, it's really been amazing. And we're big believers in the ongoing training because part of what we offer is not just training in 
credit card processing, but we offer life skills because part of this is how do you get back to the workforce and manage your time? How do you manage your relationship? How do you, you know, juggle it all? How do you sell? All of those skills are incorporated into our weekly training. The name Park Place Payments, so is that from the Monopoly? My son is a big Monopoly fan, and so I love the alliteration of it, and every business in this industry is so boring. They're like something, something processing, you know? And I was like, what if it's like a kind of sexier, fun name that women would want to be part of? And so we have like a really fun logo and everything about our branding is just accessible and fun. And we're doing things a lot differently. So it was funny. We were just at the industry conference, a bunch of the executives on my team, you know, we walk in and we just look different. We act different. We brand ourselves differently. We use social media differently than anyone in the industry. And we might not have been the biggest company there, but everyone was talking about us because anytime you can disrupt an industry, you get talked about. So it's been really fun and exciting. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Tell us about the landscape that is payment processing. What's it like? Who are your competitors? You know, it, it ranges. So they're the competitors, the, the kind of the most high profile competitor at this point is Square. Yeah. Um, and Square, you know, is great for small businesses like the farmer's market kind of businesses. It's a very expensive option for bigger businesses and they have no live customer service. So that's been an easy one for us to go up against because our pricing is better, but then also we have this incredible customer service team. So just to back up a little bit, I am... Um, I raised money for the company and a lot of people said, well, this is not a capital intensive business. You don't need to raise any money. But I really wanted us to make a splash and I wanted to hire the right people. So I was able to hire two superstars from the payments industry. I poached them from one of the biggest payments companies. So they came on board. So basically there's a zillion um, sales companies in this industry. The roots of this industry, bizarrely enough, come from used car sales. So it's one of the only industries where if you own a business, and you own Conica's flowers. Mm-hmm. And I come into you and I and 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 I say I'm selling credit card processing. And you say to me, how much is it? Usually the person who's talking to you will say, Well, how much are you willing to pay? Which is bananas. Like the only place that happens is in used cars. If right. you walk in to buy a dress tomorrow and you said, How much is a dress? And they said, Well, how much are you willing to pay for it? You'd run away. <laughs> yeah. So that's how this industry is. So it's been really easy for us to make changes in this industry because we just we have a rate card. We're honest the first time. We're giving you the best price we can the first time. It's not about like you know, well, if you can get a better price from someone else, show me and I'll lower my price. But Hmm. that's how the industry's been. So our competition is all these guys who are walking in and we'll usually say to someone who does your payment processing and they'll say, I don't know, some guy named Rick. We haven't (laughs) seen him in a while. So I always say to people, you're competing against the guy named Rick. (laughs) Right, right. That's hilarious. Um, And I think that, you know, just to kind of pat ourselves on the back, women are um, so plugged in and, you know, make sure to engage and connect with small business owners and CEOs um, because I think it's just in our DNA. So they get possibly better customer service because of that. Yes, absolutely. And I think that like there is something about the way women converse and the way we talk to people. You can tell right away that 
it's just a different vibe. It's a, it's more of a relationship sale. And I think that's so important. It's like when you're running a business and I can say it for myself and you as an entrepreneur, you're anytime you're running any business, there's so much that you don't like dealing with, like the legal stuff and incorporating. And there's all, like, there, people know the sexy stuff, but they don't know the behind the scenes, painful stuff. And unfortunately payments is one of those things. And so I feel like if we can be like this payments partner that they know they can count on if something goes wrong or if they have a question, that's just really, really important. Yes, absolutely. And is there like a sweet spot for the size of businesses that um, your team goes and approaches? Yes. So any business that makes over a hundred thousand a year, which obviously anyone who pays rent is certainly making over that, mm-hmm. um, is a good target. Um, and basically, you know, any business that's 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 going to be in business for a while, that's thriving, um, that's growing, we want to help them grow. And we believe that you know payments can actually help grow your business as opposed to just saving you money. We also want to grow your business. So we also have a whole marketing program attached to what we sell. And we really have have focused on a, on a very client-focused solution. Um, and then in terms of the size of business, we just sold our first, we have a new client who's a, a, a major league soccer team. So we have a stadium, which is really exciting. Wow. Um, and then we have clients like Dr. Pimple Popper, you know, the, <laughs> the, the dermatologist. And we have, we have a wide variety of industries from auto shops to tailors, to restaurants, to pharmacies, hair salons, nonprofits, <laughs> you know, you name it. That's excellent. And it's nationwide. So right off the bat. Yes, it is. So now we're in 27 states, but we're looking to be in 50. So certainly if any of your listeners are interested in, you know, making money and being part of a community, we would absolutely love to talk to them. That's great. So since you're interacting with women all the time, whether it's at the workplace or, you know, the TED Talks that you've given um, and all the speaking engagements that you're called in to do, what advice do you have for us to feel like we're thriving as moms and as professionals. One of my most important things that I share with women is it's okay to be ambitious. In fact, it's one of the best things you can be. And just because you got married or you had kids doesn't mean that that fire in your belly that you had when you graduated from college, that probably didn't go away. And so one of the things is just embrace your ambition and know that it's part of you and you don't have to squash it and try to surround yourself by people who are going to help you to reach your potential and are proud of your successes. You know, we all have friends that seem more comfortable with us when things are going wrong than when things are going right. But you want the friends whose shoulders you can cry on when things are going wrong those same people, you want them to be happy for you when things are going right. So choose your crowd really wisely because your time is so valuable. Yes, absolutely. Many women believe that we can have it all, but not all at once. Do you agree with this adage? I don't. I mean, here's the thing. If you think about it, like a lot of people will say, I'm just going to wait to have kids until my career is at XYZ level. Um, Or I'm just going to wait to date, you know, until my kid is 12 years old. At the end of the day, some of these things have to be left a little bit to chance and you can't perfectly design your life. You have to take opportunities as they come sometimes. So part of it is accepting the fact that it's going to be messy and there's certain years, especially the maintenance years, it's going to be even messier than you can imagine. And you have to laugh at it. And along the way, you have to be having fun. So you Mm. don't want to say, you know what, I haven't gone out on a date with my partner in, you know, 
six months. That's not a badge of right. honor. That is pathetic. So we yeah, want to be yeah, go exactly. out once a week on an adult night out, whether it's with your partner, whether it's a date, whether it's with your friends. You need an adult night out per week like a car needs gas. It's going to make you a better mom, a better colleague, a, a, a better partner. You need that fun in your life. And I, I really encourage women to get back to that place of accepting those invitations and your friend invites you to a lecture that you don't normally go to go for it. And then you know what? Come home and tell your kid all about it the next morning at breakfast and don't apologize. I always think, you know, there's two kinds of parents you can be. You can be the kind of parent that every time you leave the house, you apologize to your child. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Mommy has to go. I wish I didn't have to go. And then Mm. your child is clinging to you and crying because they're feeding off your energy. Or you can say, guess where mommy gets to go today? I'm going to go to this conference and meet amazing women. And I'm going to come home and tell you all about it. And I cannot wait to hear about you your day too. Yeah. My kids, like when I travel for work, I really don't feel guilty. I will just say to them, guess where mommy's going? I'm going to New Orleans. And do you know what they have in New Orleans? They have jazz and they have this and they have that. And I'm going to go speak at this conference and here's you know the kind of people I'm going to meet. And you have to promise to tell me every detail because I'm going to come back and t- tell you every detail. And my mm. kids really absorb that message. I remember a couple of years ago, I was leaving my oldest daughter's room and I just put her to sleep and I was on a very early morning flight. And I said, you know, I, I told her that I wasn't going to see her in the morning. And right before I thought everything had gone smoothly, right before I left the room, she goes, mommy. And I thought, oh no, this is where the guilt trip comes in. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she said, I just wanted to know, do you think that um, jobs will change a lot by the time I'm an adult? And I said, some jobs will. Why? And she goes, because when I grew up, I want to do exactly what you do. Oh, wow. And it was that kind of thing. And I do think it's from developing a pattern of, I take pride in my work. I love what I do. I meet really interesting people. And I'm going to bring those experiences back into my home and share them with my family. One thing that you mentioned in your talk um, that you like unequivocally don't believe in, like you said, is the mom guilt and, you know, the word balance and juggle. It's, it just doesn't make sense to you, right? Well, listen, I end up using work-life balance because that's a term that we all gather around. But at the end of the day, for a scale to be balanced, you have to spend equal time at home and equal time at work. And if you're successful, you're not able to do that. So you're going to fail at that. And then, you know, when we talk about juggling, like anyone who's ever tried to have a conference call or host a podcast with a toddler Mm -hmm. in the room (laughs) knows how impossible that is. And so you're set up to fail. So, you know, and then we talk about having it all, but really anyone who, you know, who, who we can't even mention anyone who, who actually has it all, like Barack Obama or Angelina Jolie, like nobody has it all. Yeah. So we're sitting here thinking of these really faulty measuring sticks. And instead, I just encourage you to think of your life as a pie because that's a, something you can achieve and kind of just be easier on yourself and realize that you're going to mess up every day. And that's okay because the next moment might be amazing. Right, right. And the onus is on you to decide what the percentage is for one piece or one slice versus another. Right. And they shift week to week, day to day. Mm -hmm. Like they might, you want them to sort of end up in a way that you're happy with at the end of the year. But some weeks you might really not see your kids as much as you wanted to. And the next week you might be able to take a couple days off. Like it's just, it, it just depends on how you manage it. Yes. What are the secrets to personal and professional success to you? I think they're choosing your partner wisely and and also raising your expectations of your partner. A lot of people would say to me, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. Your husband does so much. And I think to, to myself, like if he'd married his ex-girlfriend, I don't think he would do as much. I think it's mm. like, I just 
never expected that he would be anything less than a 50% partner. And from the very beginning, I had him going to all the doctor's appointments. I had him going to, you know, doing everything from the very, very beginning so that we both learned to change the diapers and all of that stuff. And I think, you know, part of it is having high expectations of your partner and making sure that you have an egalitarian relationship that you're modeling for the kids in your house. Um, And then part of it is also accepting the mess. I think that's a huge part of success is realizing that you're going to screw up and that's okay. So you have five best-selling self-help books um, that you've written over the course of your life. Um, can you tell us a little bit about each and you know why you wrote them at the phase of life that you were in? When I graduated from business school, I uh, started a personal branding firm, but it was very early on and no one knew what a personal brand was, whereas now everyone's like, oh, I'm a little bit like Southwest and a little bit like Starbucks. Like <laughs> then no one knew what it was. So I it morphed a little more into a PR firm, a branding firm than I wanted. And there were all these experts that I wanted to represent, but they couldn't afford us because we worked on a monthly retainer. So I thought, well, what if I do a book series with these people and then I'll get to work with them in another way? So I started cold calling experts and asking them to write a cliff notes on their area of expertise. So it was like Susie Orman on how to save money and Bobby Flay on how to barbecue and Peggy Post on how to set a formal table. Anyway, that book became the expert's guide to 100 things everyone should know how to do. Um, And it was published by Clarkson Potter, which is a division of Random House. And Mm -hmm. then based on the success of that book, it was a bestseller. And they gave me another three book deal for another three books in the Experts Guide series. So at the end of the series, we had 400 different experts who had contributed to the books. um, And they each wrote their cliff notes from Richard Branson to Rachel Ray and Al Roker. Um, Pretty much any expert you can think of through those years were in my books. And they were really all the result of a cold call, except for Cory Booker. He was the only person that was in my book that was not a cold call, but um, everyone else was a cold call. So once I, I did that kind of as a pet project in the beginning when I was running my firm, and then once it became a bestseller and I got the next three book deal, I closed my firm. I placed my clients in another agency place my employees in other places. Um, and I just did the books full time a little bit thinking, okay, I'm just going to do books and babies. And mm-hmm. then I realized it just wasn't enough for me because it was only like six months a year I was doing a book. And then the other six months a year, I was like twiddling my thumbs <laughs> wanting to and something. And so then I, um, ended up launching an online talk show um, that was produced by a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, who's like a, a social media kind oh of Oh my guru. gosh, who doesn't know Gary? Yes, Gary V. Yeah, so yeah. he and I did the show together for 75 episodes that I hosted. Um, and then over time, I ended up um, working with women again on their personal brands and realizing you couldn't talk to women about their personal brands without talking about the elephant in the room, which was work-life balance. And so mm. I kind of looked into it and realized there was no one who was focused on that. And so I spent five years kind of becoming, researching, studying and becoming the expert in that. And then I put my last book together, which was called The Pie Life. And I, that was the first book that I wrote. The others were anthologies. And that was the first book that I wrote. So it's kind of my, you know, my baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was, that was three years ago. And then I, you know, went in a major speaking tour. I still do a ton of speaking. And 
And that's a couple of years ago when I launched Park Place Payments out of that. So that that is amazing. I want to just take it back to what you were like, Samantha, growing up. Um, you were raised in New York. You went to the esteemed Dalton School and went on to attend Harvard for undergrad and for your MBA. Um, do you feel like you were just groomed for success from day one? <laughs> no, I think that um, I really the 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 key thing here is that I was a competitive athlete growing up. And I think that I went to obviously an excellent school that it really, it was, it, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Dalton in New York. I was so lucky to go there. It was incredible. But um, the other part of my childhood, which was a huge part, is that I was a tennis player. Yes. And so I was a c- competitor from age nine. And I think when you grow up that way, you kind of, I mean, the bad thing about it is I really don't think I had a normal childhood or any childhood, really. Mm. I was kind of like a little adult because I was always sitting in class worrying about my tournament that weekend, whether I was going to win or lose. And I just had so much pressure on my shoulders to keep up my ranking and get it higher. And, and you know, so I, I just felt like I always was under a lot of pressure. And I also had to miss like every single party because I was playing tennis tournaments. So every weekend. Um, and so all my summers were spent traveling for tennis. Thanksgiving, I was at tournaments. I was just always uh, playing. I would play, you know, five days a week plus the tournaments on the weekends. So I didn't have like much of a childhood. Um, but what that did do is it made me very organized from a very young age. And it, um, it, it just made it so that I was very able to balance a lot of things um, and able to compartmentalize because I was trained to do it from such a young age. And so, you know, ironically, it was my tennis that got me into Harvard. I played number two singles and number two doubles there. But then, you know, I worked for five years. And then when I applied to business school, I was like, oh, no, I'm applying to Harvard again without the athletics to, <laughs> to get me in. Um, and so I kind of got in by the flying by the seat of my pants. I was the only person that didn't have a finance or accounting background pretty much in my class. Um, so it was very difficult for me getting through Harvard Business School without that because most people go there as like a little bit of a break in their banking career. Right, right. <laughs> like I had friends who would like tutor me in finance and try to get me through it. Um, so that was really what happened. And then once I graduated from there, I was so used to having to work really hard. Like I've never had anything come really easily to me. So I ended up um, starting my own company, which was this personal branding firm. And at that time, everyone in my class was going into consulting and banking and they all right. wanted to work at Bain or Bain or yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I just was like, I'm doing my own thing. And, and I think that was driven by the fact that I'd always kind of been an outlier, you know, growing up. Um, so that didn't scare me. Good for you. Um, and what was it like being in such a highly competitive environment as a child? I mean, do you feel like it just motivated you or, you know, were you like kind of hesitant or you know, how, how did it play out from from childhood through college? I think, you know, there's something unhealthy about playing an individual sport. I bet it's a lot like being like a a child actor or um, an ice skater or gymnast. I think anytime you're playing an individual sport, it you're, you know, you're kind of, there's something very lonely and competitive about it. Mm. Um, and I, my roommates in college were the captains of the soccer team. And I always was like, oh my God, they have such a much, like just an easier life. I, I don't necessarily know that I would want that for my kids. I think it's a difficult way to grow up. 
I don't regret what I did, but at the same time, I think that part of it informs how I am as a parent. I'm so afraid to pressure my kids. Um, and I kind of probably go in the other direction. I remember my daughter goes to a very competitive middle school and in the second month she was there, she came home one day and she goes, it's so unfair. You're the only parents that don't pressure me about grades. And I bet I would have straight A's if you did. (laughs) Oh my God, this just proves you can't win. Your kid's going to end up on the couch for something, no matter what you do. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, What was it like with your parents and what kind of values did they instill in you and your siblings? Well, my parents really made me feel like I could be anything. And Mm -hmm. when I had the show that I referenced to you, the talk show with Gary, it was called Obsessed TV. And on Obsessed TV, I interviewed everyone from Al Roker to Stacey Bendett, who started Alice and Olivia. Like, you know, people were at the top of their fields in all different fields in different industries. And the one thing those people had in common is that 99%, and this is an incredible statistic to me, and I've always been obsessed with it. 99% of them had parents who made them think they could be anything. Now understand, Al Roker's father was a bus driver, but he was a bus driver who made his son believe he could be anything, and he became Al Roker. So the number one most important thing you can do as a parent is to make your child believe they could be anything. You can get a whole lot of other things wrong, but if you instill in them that one value, then you've done your job. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Resounding. Yes. I'm sure um, everyone who's listening uh, agrees with you there. Um, Tell us about what motherhood is like for you and a little bit about, you know, your family and your kids. Yeah. I mean, I am obsessed with being the best parent I can be. I I know that I get it wrong a lot and my kids are quick to tell me now that they're 13, 12 and nine. (laughs) But but at the same time, I I feel like I never stop learning as a parent. I think that's one of the most important things is I read a lot of parenting books even to this day. I'm constantly reading articles about parenting. I want to be the best I can be. And I think one of the trickiest parts of parenting is that you're never done learning because as soon as you think you've figured your kid out, they enter a new phase and you're like, wait, no one told me that was coming. You know, how do I control screen time or how do I, you know, should they be allowed to have a sleepover every weekend? Like there's all these things. It's like, you can just, you can just fall apart from the endless list of questions that your kids will ask you. I actually last week started a project where I started writing down all the questions my kids ask me. Cause I was like, I'm just, no one's ever done this before. And I just want to know what the questions are, because if you can tell another parent, these are the questions that's coming down the pipe. You know what I mean? Like these are the ones that you're going to face next. It would be so interesting. But I mean, I think that with parenting, um, my husband and I, we might fight a lot about a lot of things, but the one thing that we're really on the same page about is parenting. And I call our method of parenting intentional parenting. We're very intentional about how we parent. And in the beginning, when we were in the the maintenance years, the baby years, my husband used to say, well, your style of parenting is called exhaustive parenting. <laughs> because it was exhausting and it would have been easier to take a, an iPad to the restaurant, but like we just didn't do that. So from the moment my kids were in the car, we had a rule where we don't have screens in the car. And to this day, they will never even consider asking to have a screen in the car because they know that's our family rule. So one of the things that really has helped us is to have family rules. And we say, in our family, we don't wear makeup until you're a teenager. In our family, we don't, whatever it is that works for you, um, it really is a crutch you can lean on because it prevents kids from saying, oh, what's, you know, Susie gets to have that toy 
or blood, you know, they're constantly comparing themselves to other kids or they get to stay up till nine o'clock at night. And I say, well, if you lived in that home and had those parents and those siblings, you would get to go to bed at nine o'clock too. But life right. is not an a la carte menu. It's a package deal. And so in this family, this is how we do it. And it really works. I mean, the other thing I would say that's a huge part of our parenting is empathy. So nothing personally breaks my heart more than seeing a parent say to a crying, tantruming kid, I'll talk to you when you're calm or come back to me when you've, you know, go to your room and I'll talk to you when you're calm. Because think about it. Last time you were in a fight with your partner or you were upset about something, if they said to you, you know what, go, go with your big, bad emotions and come back to me when you're calm, how much angrier would you be? You yeah. would rage would simmer. But we do that to kids every day when we put them in timeouts and do things like that. So we had this thing in our family where we would say, um, there's no timeouts, there's hangouts. And it looks like you really need time to hang out with a parent. So we'd sit in your room and talk to them or read a book with them and help them calm down and show them that they weren't alone. Um, Similarly, you know, when a kid is crying and we think it's stupid, like they want the red sippy cup and they have (laughs) to have the blue one. To us, it's stupid. But in their little world, that is like the most important thing ever. And so part of it is acknowledging that their feelings are real and important. And I think that that is what has helped my kids grow up to be, you know, very empathetic. All three of them, they're wildly different, but they're all three very kind and empathetic and they help other kids and they're very confident. And I think that a lot of that stems from the fact that we always treated their feelings as important and we we treated them with empathy. That's really, really great advice um, that you've given us. Would you say even through the maintenance years, we try to just kind of get down to their level and relate to them in this way? Oh, absolutely. I think it's even more important than in some ways or just as important because, you know, that's when they're learning, like, are my feelings important? You know, Mm. does anyone care? Does it matter? Like what I have found is that crying breeds crying. So if you let a child just cry, they're going to cry a whole lot louder to get your attention next time. Yeah. So one of the first things you can do to eliminate a lot of the tears is just acknowledge them. Um, there was a parenting expert named Susan Stifelman, and one of the tenants, I heard a lecture of hers that I loved, is if you can get a yes twice every tantrum immediately, it, it's totally d- min- diminished. So. Wow. Or, So here's what you do. So they want the blue sippy cup and you say, you really want the blue sippy cup. And they say, yes. And they go, "Uh and then you say, you wish you could always have the blue sippy cup. And they say, yes. And then immediately they're like a little calmer. It's like, if you're really angry and you're like, you're really mad, you wish that I wasn't home an hour late. And you're like, yeah. And then you'd suddenly feel heard and you're not as angry. And so if you can get to two yeses, you can literally eliminate most tantrums. Oh my goodness. I can't wait to use this. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, bring on the tantrums. Like I've got this now. (laughs) All three of you. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, Okay. So you've lived in New York and now LA. Um, What do you feel you've taken away from being in these two very different cities? 
Um, I, you know, I still go back to New York a lot and really connected to New York because I, I was, you know, born and raised there. I think for me, I love the energy of New York because when you're walking around, like everyone's going somewhere, everyone has a purpose, everyone is, you know, very directed and, and excited about something and they're engaged in the world. I love Los Angeles because of the weather and because it's a much easier lifestyle on a daily basis. Um, and my kids get to eat lunch outside every day, which is amazing. Um, but I'm very careful to make sure that they also are aware of the world. And I talk to them about politics all the time. And um, we still get a subscription to the paper so they can see that we read the paper. Like, I want them to be engaged in the world. And I think sometimes when you live in a place like LA, it's easy to get into a bubble and not be as engaged in what's happening um, outside of Los Angeles. And so we work really hard to avoid that, I would say. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I, co- I completely agree. Do you have a ritual, like whether you meditate or journal or? So I don't meditate. Um, I always say like jigsaw puzzles are my meditation. I always try to get my family to do jigsaw puzzles with me. But I also, you know, I love to read. So I'm always reading a novel, no matter how busy my life gets, I'm always reading. So that's a form of my own meditation. Um, I would say that my morning Starbucks, my venti sugar-free vanilla soy no foam latte is my tool. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if I don't have it, I get really bummed out. So um, yeah, so those are my rituals. And, you know, just having having those routines, like I'm the kind of person that actually likes to eat the same thing for lunch every day. Like I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with routines as long as your routine involves a lot of fun. So I think part of it is just making sure that you, you allow time for fun when one of the best pieces of advice I was given when we had our first baby, um, was to get a babysitter, a regular sitter every Saturday night that started at 3 PM because your baby's going to bed at 6.30 or 7 anyway. And mm-hmm. so to them, that's actually the end of the day. And that allows you to go to the movies and go to dinner or go get a manicure, right. or whatever you want to do. You still have extra time or go do an errand with your partner and then go out to dinner. Plus, if you're kind of doing the math every week and you're like, I'm so tired, is it really worth it to pay the $100 to have a babysitter mm-hmm. and then the cost of dinner? You're doing the math every week and you're not going to do it. But if you have a commitment to a babysitter every week, you're not having to reinvent the wheel. And at the end of the day, no matter how exhausted you are, it's more exhausting to put your kids to bed yes. <laughs> on yeah. Saturday night than it is to go out to dinner. So exactly. you're better off. Your relationship is strengthened when you do that. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this time of year, Thanksgiving, the holidays are upon us, New Year's. Um, what do you feel most thankful and grateful for? Oh, definitely my kids. I mean, I feel like, knock on wood, I've been blessed with three healthy incredible children who teach me every day and I feel so lucky to be their parent. Um, And that's my number one thing. I think the second thing is just being able to have a career where I feel like I can reach my financial goals while also helping an enormous number of people. And so for me, like I'm, I'm really grateful to my team. I have this incredible team of executives of women around me who um, are on our full-time team and I adore them and they're amazing. And then I'm also so grateful for all of our account executives. So um, I could go on and on, but right now (laughs) that's, those are my, my top things. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, Tell us about a 
mom sense moment that you've had. Um, the show is called That's Total Mom Sense. And, you know, I've kind of coined this term to mean the built-in intuition or superpower that we have as moms um, when it comes to our kids. So if you could just pinpoint one moment that you were like, you know what, I trusted my mom sense and it didn't steer me wrong. Can you share that with us? I was, I had a business dinner and I got a text from my son. He doesn't have a phone, but he has um, a computer for school and he's able to text on that. And so he texted me and he said he wasn't feeling well. And I just knew something had happened the day before. And I thought to myself, I don't think it's actually a physical thing. I think it's an emotional thing. And I think he really needs a parent like right now. And so I called my husband and I was like, I know this isn't good timing, but you need to come home early today and just be with him and hang out with him and do some activity with him. I'm telling you there's something wrong, like emotionally. I could just feel it. And my husband's like, are you sure? Kind of gave me a hard time. I was like, no, I promise. Please, please just do it. He's like, fine, I'll cancel my five o'clock meeting. He did it. He called me like, an hour later, and he was like, I just want to let you know you were totally right. Like, this is exactly what he needed. Mm. So I think some, sometimes, like, even though I have a full partner at home, it's I carry more of, like, the emotional sense of, like, when the kids, like, I can hear tears a mile away. Like, we'll be watching a TV show, and I'm like, oh, my God, someone's crying. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, turn it off right now. I hear someone crying. You know, like, I, I always have that. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Is there a quote that you live by? I mean, it's the quote I said before, which is don't live life in the past lane. Mm. Um, I'd rather, you know, fail fast. I'd rather um, make a decision fast. And then if I didn't make the right decision, I'll fix it or alter my path. But I don't believe in sitting around and regretting something I've already done. Yeah, it's so true. It's now time for Mom Hall when we share products we love. We always end with a fun segment called Mom Hall, and it's just, you know, a product that you are loving. It could be beauty or wellness or parenting, really anything um, that you would just share with your girlfriends. So, Okay, so one of the things um, is my bandolier, which I feel like is a must-have for moms. It's at, it's at bandolierstyle.com, and it's basically a strap that you wear, almost like a pocketbook strap, that connects to your phone, um, and it has a little pocket in the back for credit cards. So like if I'm going to Starbucks with my kids, I'll just bring that. I don't have to bring a bag. So I, oh, and that's like also great for work events because keep your business cards in there and you don't have to hire like a big bag. It just goes, it, it, it's crossbody. So right. that is one of my favorite things. Um, and I think for a busy mom, it's a great thing. And then the other thing that I am obsessed with and you'll never have to iron again is if you get this like travel esteem steamer, which is is my godsend. I literally take it even on a one night business trip and it seems your clothes in minutes and it's so easy to use and it's cute and it's just easy. This is brilliant. It's and it's then, just and it's compact and yeah. Okay, great. And then um I also love this pie company where you can send someone a pie from anywhere um wherever they live and it's called Pieho. It's a pie company based in Idaho and it's P I E D A H O. Idaho. Oh, I love it. And then with the pies, I mean, it just, you know, yeah, it so like, makes brand. sense. <laughs> <laughs> Very apropos. Yeah. Um, and now lastly, where can, you know, my listeners find you? They can find me at parkplacepayments.com. Okay, great. And so for those who are interested in, you know, joining the Park Place family, how do they go about it? 
So they go to parkplacepayments.com and then they just click on join our family and then someone will be in touch with you within 24 hours. That is so cool. Samantha, thank you so much for being on That's Total Mom Sense. This was so fun and enlightening and I really, really appreciate you sharing your story. Oh, thanks so much, Kanika. You're an amazing interviewer. This was really fun. That's Total Mom Sense.